Welcome to Rooster Radio. I'm Andrew Montessi and in front of me is James Begley. We have just uh, taken off our baggy green caps and we're kissing the rooster emblem because we've made a ton. It's our 100th episode. What would the raising of the bat equivalent be for a podcast? Do we get the mic up? Lift, we... Lifting the microphone, I yeah. think, would be probably the best. But um, I don't even know how how we got here, to be honest. I expected this to be maybe run three to five episodes max when we launched. I think, oh, kudos to your drive, determination and ambition I think you've self self interest. I think it's just hearing my own voice. But I've, I've certainly like jumped on the jumped on the bandwagon and just ridden it with you. Well, it's been fun. Um, so it's a, it's a significant episode uh, for the hundredth. It's also end of the year, twenty seventeen, uh, and it has been a massive year, particularly for yourself, Mister James Ferdinand Aloysius Begley. <laughs> um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, in terms of perhaps uh, a point of well, reflection, if you, if you used it down. a better descriptor than a massive year, I mean, how would you describe the year? I think the most boring word, but most relevant word for you would be challenging. Mm. How would you describe it? More importantly, well, I guess that's why I asked you because I'm not exactly sure. Um, yeah, epic, challenging. Um, at some stages, demoralising. At other stages, you know, exciting. So when you, I guess when we reflect, I think at the start of the year, we, was, we were filled with hope, filled with dreams, <laughs> filled with uh, plans that were quite detailed, actually. We, we, we had a fair roadmap um, about how the year was going to play out. But as life happens, it didn't play out according to plan. Maybe what are what were com- what were some of the the major um, factors for you that impacted the year? Well, if you if we thought back to this time last year, it's probably a good starting point because we were in granular detail planning um, what twenty seventeen was going to um, bring us, and I guess we were halfway through the sort of beginning phase of our web development. Um, we were working off some assumptions about uh, some investment funds arriving. Um, we were looking at marketing plans. We were, we were finishing really strong, and I think um, finishing last year, I had all confidence that things were going to roll out relatively smoothly. Yeah, there might be a few little speed bumps, but I couldn't really see any fundamental problems. And I think for me that this year has taught me that, you know, you just you never know where the, the curveballs are going to come from. That's the problem, isn't it? It's like they come from the place that you least expect it. And, um, and so really the big headline for us has just been our stalled investment. I think all our challenges have stemmed from not knowing when or how much or if at all the investment was going to land. Mm. And that's been pretty epic. Yeah. I guess as, as part of that, um, the other interesting dynamic is that it wasn't through any personal issue with um, investors. Uh, I think with Pigstar, the great thing about it is the awesome relationships of everyone involved, but it was circumstances outside of everyone's control which has held things up. How, I guess, as we, as it played out, 
what how are you managing that oh. and how, how did it impact you i mean we know what of course with the business things are going to have to be put on hold plans are going to have to change or whatever but what did it mean for your own personal world as well well i probably learned I've learned more about myself this year in 12 months than I, I honestly could say I have for the last 10 years. Um, I, I mentioned that we started the year with lots of planning, everything was structured and I think what this year has taught me has been the value and the power of surrendering yourself to the complete unknown and we wouldn't have survived this year if um, if we didn't surrender and have faith that things were going to work out. Because I guess for myself, um, having to deal with not knowing what the next month is going to look like. So what are the components of not knowing? We've got fixed expenses. We've got a certain amount of money going out every month. We've got a fluctuating revenue base. So you can't really plan. We're in cash burn, cash burn mode. We are trying to grow our brand and grow our business and, and show the world what we can do. We've had to pause our web development, which we've told everyone is going to occur. We told people we're going to launch in March. We told people we're going to launch in July. All of a sudden gets to July and, and we, I think we kind of knew that you know, things just weren't going to happen. So for me, it's, the biggest thing that's occurred has been, and in some ways kind of nice, I, I have not looked past each week. And Sarah and myself sometimes on a Friday night, we go, ooh, well, we survived another week. And that was kind of it. Like, And I didn't even know what the next Monday was going to bring, but all I knew was that we got through another week. And, and despite all of those pressures and extremes um i've also learned about what's got me through that as well what what was getting you through that what was motivating you because a lot of other people would have just gone you know what stuff this i could get an easier job i could have an easier life with some consistency if i do a few other things so the big drivers and i'm going to pump up you and jesse i mean every day rocking into work um, you guys were focused. You you knew the situation with our funding. You were like motivated to achieve each day, and and I really fed off that. So that was a big part of it. Um, on the home front, having a wife who you know, and we've lived off her wage for the fair portion of this year, and a fair portion of this year she's been pregnant and working full time. So. I can't discount that piece of the puzzle. Like if we didn't have her income and if she was completely resentful every day of what what was going on, I think we wouldn't have made it. And then the third piece of the puzzle, well, there's two more pieces of the puzzle, our revenue growth. So we were having validation and we were having affirmation. I mean, we've grown our revenues, our monthly revenues 800% this month, uh, this year and all our metrics were just on a beautiful, you know, 45-degree, you know, sort of trend. Um, and then I had a board who were, you know, supportive and in the trenches with me. They're not a board that 
you know, expected results and sat back and just got angry if those results didn't occur. You know, they're a board who get their, you know, get their hands dirty. They, they, they reinvest their money and their energy. Um, and they're really like a part of a team. They're not, they're not like the headmaster. I think some people perceive boards as a reporting line and, you know, they're, they're anything but. So, I don't think without any of those, you know, if, if all of those were going for us, if, if one or two of them were working against us, I think, again, it would have made it really difficult. I think there was absolute pragmatism from everyone involved. Just every, each week it seemed like, okay, well, what do we need to do to keep things happening? Well, and it's, it's probably a relevant point and something that you could answer or Jess, but understanding the fundamental position of the business and the uncertainty, what allowed you guys or what was the process you guys went through to know that, you know, things looked a bit dodgy on the outside, but, you know, how did you produce such good work over the years? Probably a question. I just, I think it comes back to your earlier point that in spite of everything, the business was working. It was validating everything that we believe about the potential for the business so you don't feel like that, yeah, things aren't working out with some issues that we can't control. If the business was struggling as well and people just didn't, if our clients weren't interested or we couldn't find clients or, or we weren't getting validation from the market, you'd be going, geez, why are we, like, you'd start to think, why are we doing this? I think, so I think that's a big part of it. And just knowing that without a doubt, I certainly knew anyway, that it will work out. Mm. Whatever that looks like, it will work out. And, you know, trusting you, the board, John, the chairman, all the guys that whatever needs to happen, that'll work out. And knowing that you guys will just make it happen, I think, was was a big part of it. Um, so you mentioned that you've learned more about yourself in this period. You know, how, what were the exact things that you learned about yourself? Or maybe... How are you, if you reflect on who you were this time last year and who you are now, what's actually different? One of the big things, you know, in terms of the role, my role in my business, I think um, has become very clear and that is I think business owners or CEOs or managing directors, whatever the title is, need to be prepared and fully energised and clear in their mind when shit's starting to hit the fan, they have to be the ones to change course and you have to surrender some operational bits and pieces or at least in your own mind say to yourself, this, what, this shit does not matter that I'm fluffing around here. Like what is the most valuable thing that I can do for this business? And I think for me that process began July-ish and I think by... August, September, I, I was saying to the board that we need to have some control over where we can't keep waiting on these funds and just, do, you know, patch up jobs. And so for me, it's saying I could easily find myself being too busy doing things that don't matter to then really sink my teeth into the funding of this business and what do I need to do to make sure that this business has money 
next year to grow mm. and also, you know, put out spot fires. It's reaffirmed for me the importance of getting the right people in your business. And I know it's like it's cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. But character over technical skill, like it's just confirmed that beyond all doubt. Yeah. Like, it's great to have awesome people who are the best. But I know that if we had some people who may have been technically the best but not with the right character, they wouldn't still be here today. Absolutely. And so following on from that too, it's um, when you're under extreme pressure, be super clear about everyone's roles. And those roles might change. So for me it was about, I think I remember saying to you guys, okay, guys, this is now my primary focus. So whatever I have to be doing, this is my responsibility to make sure that this business has enough fuel for next year and to, and to keep us through the end of the year. I think the other thing too is become very, very short term. Remember we had that meeting about like let's set a mission to maintain our revenue, to get money in the, um, in the door before Christmas and you know pay down some debt. And that was our mission. Everything else didn't really matter. Mm. But it was kind of a galvanizing process. You know, we got a little scratchy, but as soon as we boiled it down to something super short term, like I think it was about five weeks mm. or six weeks, um, for me it became almost like, yeah, motivating. Yeah. And getting really transactional, like I actually loved that. Mm. I mean, we were, we were like that to an extent, but actually just going, all that matters from my perspective, from the marketing piece, is let's just get opportunities in and nothing else matters. And I think we did that. And I think even if you looked at probably the point where we got really clear about that, I reckon that we actually it went up a notch. Mm. Well, I think the, remember the goal was to maintain revenue growth, but we still kept growing mm. through that, which was kind of a byproduct of not worrying about it. It's yep. just opportunities in the door, convert them. Um, I described it. I know I described it to you, but I've described it to a couple of people. There's there's actually a beautiful thing about being on the edge of the cliff, and I described it like the moment in the Matrix where basically he's gone for all money, Keanu Reeves, I can't remember his name, and it's the moment, you know, bullets Neo. are flying at him. Neo, that's right. Um, bullets are flying at him, his world's blowing up, and he just suddenly goes into his mode of seeing everything like the Matrix and he starts you know, picking bullets out of the sky and doing whatever. Mm. Um, but there is a beautiful thing about being on the edge of the cliff because nothing else does matter. And, and I know it's not the same, but... I, I wonder if people who know they're going to die have a weird kind of euphoria as well that actually nothing else matters except this day. Hmm. And I'm not comparing what I do to dying, <laughs> although I am dying, aren't I? I mean, everyone's <laughs> dying. But it's uh, that's We're going it. deep now. Yeah, but it, it, I'm shocked that I've found this perverse bit of pleasure in being on the edge. It's kind of it's. Also, you know, the thing that life coaches and motivational people love is being present, you know, like mm. actually being in the moment, in the day and not a, not spending your your mindset drifting too far ahead because when when it's not mapped out, actually there's a fair bit of power in, in absorbing where you're at. And that you, you're dead right and that's what I think we, when we talked about surrendering ourselves to the unknown, that's the power in it because you surrender yourself go oh geez we expected this to happen in two months time it's not going to happen now okay let go of it what do i need to do today and and i think the best operators naturally spend more time like that 
Mm. I know it's always been a fault of mine is looking too far ahead and you know, if it doesn't compute or if it doesn't map out in five months' time, then oh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do it or I'm going to worry about it now. And it's, it may be controversial, but it's the time when people start thinking about goals and stuff like that. Like I, I don't even really have goals anymore. And I'm more ambitious and motivated than ever and more confident that I will achieve things than ever. But I think like, and I mean you're in this leadership space, I think goals are becoming less and less relevant to me because it actually becomes a limiting force. Yep, I agree. There's a certain personality where there's an instinctive focus and underlying direction that they're following. And they might not even be unarticulated. Mm. They're just, they're, they're deep down, they're making decisions because they know that in 10 steps time, this decision, I'll go sideways you know, and then I'll come back and, but ultimately it'll help me. Mm-hmm. I think there is another style of person who, who can't cope with that or they're not clear. And, you know, and I've always been that person that kind of knows deep down. Mm-hmm. And it really shocked me the more that I've talked to people that some people do exist without that, you know, that, that kind of big picture. Mm-hmm. And they really do kind of drift around. And so I think for those style of, for that style of person, you know, it, there is some benefit. It's that sense of purpose, I guess, isn't it? If you got that, like, so, if, if you're going to describe what, what is your purpose, like, how do you describe where you're heading? Yeah, you might not set goals, and you you, you live every day to its fullest. But where you're heading? Yeah. So I, I definitely know. I think what I've been become more aware of this year is uh, definitely business side of things. Um, but I think I'm looking more at the personal impact every day of that. Um, so it's not just it's not just looking at business from a commercial perspective, but looking at business in a way that kind of can help people actually transform their lives because you spend so much time in work mode, particularly blokes, so much time in work mode. Most blokes I know, their whole identity is actually tied up in work. So I've seen people lose their jobs and their whole identity is shaken up. So just things like that. So looking more at the personal side of business and and the impact that I can have, even like Rooster Radio, that's, I think, the feedback that we get is listening to us talk about this stuff and with the people that we interview. It, it is business, it is commercial, but we're always talking about the humanistic side of it and even with our recent chat with Elaine, that's what I loved about that chat was the whole human element of being in business and, and what happens. So, so how do you describe the impact of your, like, what does that mean in detail? Because you're, you're great. You ask lots of questions, but you've got to give it up yourself. <laughs> what does it mean? What do you mean, what does it mean? Well, what does it mean in your world, with your family, with your balance? So, how does so it how, play out how for it you? works for me, right? And I, and I see this, you know, in a real pra- practical sense. Um, maybe it's because people, having a podcast and hearing me speak, people kind of realize that I'm happy to chat about this stuff. But I get a lot of people will want to catch up just for a coffee or whatever and uh, we'll want to talk about these things. So um, it might be the blend of like pressure at work, wanting to achieve, wanting to be a good dad, all that sort of stuff or guys who I know who have lost jobs or jobs don't have, their, their work doesn't have the same fulfilment, they're still motivated but they've got this constant tension. So they, and I'm not at all, you know, saying that I'm a guru, certainly not. 
but just to be able to, I think asking questions is but a yeah. really important part, and I think that's one thing I've, I've, I've learned to do well, is to ask the right questions to get them to think properly about the situation they're in. But, I mean, we'll come back to you talk about work not um, being the only defining factor of someone, and, and what is that balance? My question is, you're, you are completely defined by your work. You work, you basically don't stop working. Mm. So how do you manage that? Like how, is, how have you defined that for your own balance? Oh, it's really hard. It's, um, do you mean in a, in a real practical? Well, yeah, practical, but also philosophically, you know, I think in your own personal world. I, what has happened, and I think what happens to a lot of people, is you no longer have a split between your lives, your work life, your home life, your family life, your friends. My friends invariably are kind of tied in with work somehow. Um, yeah, I do work from home, um, but, um, you know, so it, it's become this real blended life, uh, and I think it's, in, in the best way possible, in a practical sense, I do have to be really careful about um, how that actually plays out with the kids. Um, you know, when I've got time with the kids, not to sit there staring at the laptop, but actually shut the laptop and... and and spend time with them, same with Hannah. Um, so I think it's my life is becoming more and more of a, of a true blend rather than just work mode, home mode, separate friends. And I think that that helps. I don't think you can manufacture that either. No, and no, I, I describe anyone that hasn't owned their own business that is about to, I always say, you're going to lose the Friday euphoria and you'll lose the Monday depression. Mm. By owning your own business, you don't have that clock off Friday, I'm going to go and sink 10 beers in two hours and it's just the best feeling. But you also don't have the Monday dread. You've got, you've got obviously, you know, I've got to get up and go to work, but there's, it's a different feeling. Hmm. And it was, I really liked what you said about surrendering to the unknown because um, I reckon that's how I've tried to live my life, particularly the last couple of years. And it's, it's an exciting way to live. Like it's, it's hard. It's bloody hard. And you know, you've lived it far in a far further extreme than I have. But it's all potential mm. on the other side. That's Something we're good at. Yeah, we're all about potential. We've celebrated uh, potential victories throughout 2017. I reckon seven or eight times. You know, money coming through. It's all happened. The breakthrough has happened. But I think. Um, yeah, that element of, of faith um, and, you know, what, what you put your faith in and what I put my faith in are probably slightly different, but um, I think faith that it will work out is crucial and actually not many people inherently have that. So I guess up summarising what you were talking about from a rooster point of view, to be fair to say that roosters almost become a mechanism for us to work and deal with work and deal with stress mm-hmm. and learn. It's, it's probably less uh, a secondary layer as a part of now. It's actually the way that we do our best work. Yeah, it is. And even just to have a conversation like this, like you and I talk like this, you know, when we travel a bit um, and, you know, you have a five-minute chat here and there about what's going on, but to actually sit down and try and put together your thoughts and reflect, and even like when you ask me these questions, it's actually really challenging because... I'm not a. I'm not anywhere near as reflective as I should be. I like asking questions. I like pushing buttons. But 
it's like, oh, actually, I don't even really know. And it's not that I'm trying to be cagey. Like, it's just I really should reflect more. And maybe if I am going to have a goal for 2018. Well, you don't have to have a goal. I think you've got your goals. You just don't. You just no, exactly. Yeah, and they're not. They're just not your your typical practical goals of must do this by yeah. this time. I've said to a few people, my goal is just to not work for someone else. Hmm. You know, if I can do that for the rest of my life, and it might not happen, you know, I might have to at certain points go back and get a job. Touch wood, it doesn't. But, you know, the, that that's not a very sexy goal. That doesn't look great up on a, you know, whiteboard or on a bit of butcher's paper, does it? Not work for someone else. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> um, but well, it's probably the instinctive goal that I have. What's deep down, what's actually motivating you with Pickstar in particular? Because you're not a – I mean, we're commercial people, but you're not a person who's looking for an X multi-million dollar exit by X year, although we do put it in IM, so we probably <laughs> – let's not be too <laughs> – yeah. Refer no, to page 19 of our latest IM. That's we are, what our projections are. To clarify are. for potential investors and, and others out there listening to this, look, we are very commercial and very focused on our return for investors, but you are not purely driven – by a monetary reward. Well, no, that's the thing. Like, I would have given up ages ago, like seriously ages ago, if it was about, you know, putting uh, my efforts into something that was going to pay me back uh, the highest return. What motivates me with Pixar? Well, there's, there's probably a couple of parts to it. There's, there is certainly a part of it that's like there is so much history there, there now. There's a sense of loyalty. So... And I've thought about this a bit. You know, we've come so far and have so much still unrealized that the motivating fact is I need to unlock that because of what we've done. There's also this sense of building something that's tangible that lives beyond me and I've always felt it and it's that satisfaction that I guess builders or engineers or you know, people who build things must feel a little bit. And in paper pusher world and world of IT, you know, there's a lot of – you just you do a lot of stuff and really nothing changes. I know I've used this analogy before. It's like when you go to the gym, you know, you're pushing all this weight around and you leave the gym, nothing's actually changed. Sounds like my last two years <laughs> in the gym. Um, so for me to be able to move on to another project – and at whatever level Pickstar can get to, watch it go off um, separate of me, I think will be the greatest, you know, that's the thing I think about most days because what that implies is that you've built, you've built a business from an idea, you've extricated yourself from it because you've developed systems, you've learnt, you've had to create a working model that isn't reliant on any one person propping it up. You know, like what's better than that in business? Mm. And, you're, and you're delivering and adding value that never existed previously. Like, you know, that, that's the end goal. It's funny because a lot of founders can't let go. No, I'll, I'll be very good at that. <laughs> I said to my chairman at one point during the year, he said, hang in there. And I sent him an email of uh, one of those building, you know, climbers. You know, there's people that love to scale buildings yeah. and they hang off the edge. 
That's you. And, and there was a picture of this person with about three fingers holding them at the top of the Empire State Building. And I was like, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's been a bit like that. But, um, yeah, yeah, we, we, we've got there. So before we start unpacking a few of our um, specific... Shit, I'm unpacked already, aren't I? No, no, before, yeah, but I'm talking about the Rooster episodes oh, that we'll talk yes. about. But we, you've had... It's funny that the last working week you've had breakthroughs left, right mm. and centre. Mm. What's happened? Uh, well, it's Friday. I, I, well, the preface to this, to go back one step, was that I made a decision with my wife, Sarah, that, you know, like, let's acknowledge where we're at this year, you know, towards the end. Let's acknowledge where we're at. And next year has to be more simple. And it has to be more simple because we want to enjoy it more but also – by simplifying, actually, I think that would allow me to do better work and perform to a better level. So I made a commitment to myself that next year was going to be more financially simple and, um, you know, in amongst all this, my wife did get pregnant, which was probably the op- had the opposite effect. But in the last week, it started with uh, our, our, our baby was due first week of Jan, so our baby came early. So it started last Friday. Sarah went into labour. I thought, this is interesting. By 3 p.m. last Friday, um, our beautiful baby girl Freya was born. I literally jumped out of the birthing suite after about 45 minutes and Sarah was there with our 45-minute-year-old baby and I accepted an offer on my investment house. So I sold my unit, my fir- the first piece of property I ever bought um, when I was 23, so that was a fairly big decision. Mm. Um, I then uh, last night said bon voyage to my prized, beautiful Mercedes ML 300. Um, so that that was sold. Um, we're in the process of closing our funding round and our house is yet to have its renovations finished. Hopefully that will happen today or tomorrow as well. So in the course of a week, you know, four huge things have kind of occurred and that is the end product of months of work. But in, It's so in funny, my, in, like I've seen you scrap for 11 and a half months basically. Like, like it's almost been laughable and I know we have laughed at the ups and downs of your life this year, like – just watched you from my desk, just scrapping, and oh. then and then in seven days, like it all, it seems like so much is just unlocking. Yeah. Healthy baby, like really smooth labour, which for anything to go smoothly for you in twenty seventeen yeah. is remarkable yeah. in itself. And it didn't happen last time. <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen last time. Easy sale of the unit as well, like off market. Off market, yeah. Your stupid car's been on the market for ages. six months. <laughs> But but therein lies the interesting part, isn't it? It's I think when you make a decision in your own mind, and this is this feeling, whilst we surrender to the unknown, you have to have an underlying sense of control. So, yeah, I'm going to surrender to the unknown, but I also believe, and it might be contradicting, that I have the ability to control in broad chunks where I end up. So a, a good example is I chose to put my car on the market. I chose to not renew my tenant's lease, which in, led to an off-market... I chose to initiate a funding round, mm-hmm. and what level of funds we get. When the you know when the car gets sold, what the amount that I get for my investment property is—that's all unknown. Yeah, 
but I, you know, you make decisions. But it's so it's faith versus well, faith in addition to belief. So you're surrendering mm. to the unknown, mm. but you have a belief that it will work out. Mm. So you're actually you're not you're not trying to actually control everything by what you do. You're surrendering, but you know that it will work out. And that's a little bit like Pixar. You, mm. you create it, you put all your eggs into that basket, and who knows at what level it's going to work out mm. or at what level of success you're going to have. That's, that's the unknown. And I think, and I'm going to botch this up, but I love that first question that we asked Elaine or we quoted her, we quoted her and it was about when um, patience, persistence, persistence and uh, confidence come together and you know patience and persistence don't equal confidence because a lot of it is waiting or or you know and so when you talk about belief belief confidence same thing you have to have that underlying because that that's the that's the fuel that that will keep you going isn't it absolutely I, mate, it's almost like only Five, have we, got, have we five, got through anything? Well, no, it's been five oh. minutes before we hit record. I kind of told you what I wanted to talk about, and it's almost like you've scripted it, mate. You've <laughs> magnificent. We are professionals. We're we 100 are professionals. episodes down. <laughs> At what point can we put this on our immigration form coming back to Australia? Podcaster. Podcaster. Um, big part of the year that has, I know, certainly helped uh, prop you up in the, the rough weeks has been. The interviews that we've had over the last, so it's been two years, we launched October 2015, we aimed for weekly and we've kind of been, we've wavered a little bit on the weekly scenario, but I think we've posted but, but episodes and interviews regularly. Yeah, but let's, let's, be, let's be real about this. We made a decision when we had this mission of being super transactional for Pickstar and let's just get leads in the door. I mean, we made a decision, didn't we, that, that at some level we have to be a bit more opportunistic with our podcasts and put a little less planned yep. time into it, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We uh, we had an early Christmas break for Rooster, uh, but we're back on now. I feel like um, I have more energy for it as well, which is good. And just just come back to that energy. Um, the big thing that I have reaffirmed to myself this year about business and about your own stuff is that you need to be smart enough to have people around you that at the right times are going to give you energy and not beat yourself up when you don't have it because invariably you won't. You go through massive fatigue zones where you're bored of it, you hate it, you dislike it, you're annoyed with it. But, you know, and that, I'll come back to you and Jess, is you're, you will give me energy in those times. You know when I need it and you give it to me. And I think this 24-7 hustle mentality it's kind of a weakness not to be productive and smash out emails. Like, if you're going to follow that formula, good luck. I don't think it's... We've seen your emails. Well, that's right. You know, <laughs> I'm very realistic about where my energies need to go. Um, in fact, I think there'd be a liability if, yeah. if, if, uh, if the business was relying on my emails. But, you know, the point being that, like, don't beat yourself up when you just go through those. It might even be a whole week of, like, this fucking sucks. Mm. I hate this shit. Sorry, I sidetracked. No, no. Energy. Mate. That's what the, you talked about energy, so. No, and look, we've, we've marveled, at, uh, Jess and I in particular have marveled 
that you just kept getting off the canvas. <laughs> just like, Literally, too, when I was going through my headache phase. Oh, it was, it, was a, it was a period where you were a crook and you were, you, as we said, I mean, it sounds a little bit harsh, but you looked like Christopher Reeve well, uh, prop, you say, propped up in the- Would you a, say the nadir of the whole year was my vomit on the plane yeah. on the way to Melbourne? That's when I was like, we've, this bloke's in a bad way. <laughs> Uh, you, you vomited on the plane. The old duck next year was not happy about it. And then I think on the ride home from Melbourne, Jess and I were next year, you were a couple of rows back, and I looked back and I've never seen someone in such a bad state, like just propped up in a chair. It was like weekend at Bernie's. There's some carcass. You were nothing more than a carcass. <laughs> but, mate, to your credit, like we just – how you kept getting up, uh, in spite of the challenges, you know, not just for the business, but just keeping your home life going. Like, it's actually, I've been amazed. I don't know anyone who has the uh, level of resilience to be able to do that, mate. Oh, so it's, appreciate it. It's a credit and I, to you. I will say, just the catalyst to, to simplify my life, because I think stories are important and making it really real, mm. is that my wife was, you know, two, three months pregnant and had was working big hours, working weird hours, working weekends. Um, we were living off her wage and we got to a point where we couldn't afford to go to the obstetrician. And so at that point, I think that was a real wake-up call for me because I thought, you know, we need to make some decisions here to change this because, <laughs> um, you know, that this, this is not great. Um, and I think it's, you know, whilst that little period wasn't great, it was good that that was a bit of a wake-up call. What excites me is that the platform appears to be set for a really big 2018. Oh, are we, we going to get ahead of ourselves again? <laughs> yeah, of course we are. All right, let's it's do what it. We do. I think we just got to embrace for it. a massive 2018. <laughs> but like, honestly, I think actually getting ahead of ourselves has helped us. Yeah. Because you celebrate these, you need to celebrate stuff. You need to celebrate moments. It motivates, it gives you energy. I think us being inherently positive as well, like it, you go, actually, yeah, like something's just happened. I can sniff it again. Yeah, like there's possibilities, and I feel that way about 2018. Yeah, my gut feels been wrong at times. But was it actually this year that we turned around on Port Road, thinking that we were driving back to a meeting with Seven West to announce our acquisition? Was that last? I reckon that was that was late yeah. the year before. Anyway, it's just that was the start of our. High I've sidetracked massively, Rooster. Yeah, Rooster. So, uh, reflecting on a hundred episodes, I don't even know where to start in terms of favourites, but I'm going to throw a couple at you and I'm going to tell you why. What? I just, I can't even remember. Can we talk about the hundred and it doesn't need to be the last year, does it? No, 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 yeah. mate. This is okay. From start this is finish. us reflecting on our century, you know, Steve Smith style, scratchy, bit fidgety early on. That's certainly yep. defined Rooster early yep. on. And then we've really just been building him all over the park um, in the second half. But for me, uh, I've spoken about a fair bit. Former treasurer Kevin Foley was uh, a big one because I think that it changed my thinking about what the podcast could be. Um, for context, because people often ask me how we get these interviews, it's either people we know or one, being one degree of separation from people, intros, um, or just hitting people up cold. Kay Foley was connection of Richo, Tom Richardson in Daily, political reporter, I hadn't met Kevin in the past, sent him an email, can we do this podcast? I think I got three words back, yes, no worries, something like that. And then the blokes just opened up 
and you know, with with minimal prompting, you know, a few questions here and there, he's really opened up about his story. Uh, got really real. It was hilarious. You know, he said some naughty words. Uh, I thought this is really cool. Did you also see the relationship between creating content, the value of that content, then being distributed through other channels, and I guess the power of yeah. What so was you know, it gets built? it gets picked up in daily, of course, ran it, and then it gets picked up on social media, and and you can see what starts is just a humble little interview. Uh, with some dodgy recording equipment, gets amplified pretty quickly. But it was just more the, you know, the, the storytelling factor. And I was quite, almost after we published it, I was a little bit nervous about what um, Kevin's reaction would be, um, you know, because he opened up some stuff. And I thought, geez, is he actually going to regret it or maybe think that, I don't know. I was kind of a little bit nervous about it. But he actually thanked us for the opportunity to, to have clear air to talk and that again refined what I really like about what we do in podcasting is it's unedited, it's long and there may be bits that are boring but we're not going to chop people off. They're going to be able to tell a story in full context in daily when they pick it up, might do things a little bit differently with it but from our perspective we're going to put a big slab of content up and you're going to hear an unedited story from that person. I won't be as... Uh, detailed in my analysis but I think in the first sort of 10 or so episodes the, the, the biggest one that stands out for me not just because it was really interesting content but because of um, the value of this person and that is the patron Saint Ben Fitzsimmons mm-hmm. who was number two, two three, yeah. three um, and you know great stories really interesting um, you know guy who's, who's kind of self-made and yet he became this kind of connector mm. you talk about how do we get these interviews he's he's given us some great contacts and really um is a is like the the what is it the sixth beetle fifth beetle i can't remember mm. you know it's like he could be sitting here with us because he's been that important to us but i think he is he's one of the most under the radar guys in adelaide who does amazing stuff doesn't talk himself up about it you know he's He's obviously got his property property work, but he's now kind of forging a new path in um, medical cannabis. But just to highlight that point, I bumped into him last week and having a quick chat and I said, what are you up to? He goes, oh, just going to see a man about a dog. Yeah, he's Doesn't always to- up to something. And then about 20 minutes later, it turned out, of chatting, he's off. he's got some little young whipper who's giving him the update on Bitcoin. I thought, classic, <laughs> typical, always just searching around. But that's the thing, he knows everyone. Like, I don't know anyone more connected than him, not just in Adelaide, but around Australia as well. Like, he's got tentacles everywhere, that bloke. So, listeners out there, if you've got an opportunity to – meet Ben, get to know him, he'd be one of the more important people you could have in your back pocket. What about uh, the interviews kind of that were a bit of a surprise? Going into it, you're thinking one thing and then what came out was something different. Uh, Massive Joe, Joe Mensel was probably one. Why? Well, it took months for me to get him. Like he's harder to get to than the president, that bloke. Like he, so Massive Joe's, if you haven't listened to it, Big supplement empire, bodybuilding, fitness, all of that space. I know a lot of, I knew a lot of people that knew him and I was tapping those people to, to connect him up. 
months later, eventually he gets back to me and says, yeah, no worries. And I knew that he was a not just your dumb meathead bodybuilder. I'm, like You see his business, like they're killing it globally, uh, Massive Joe's. And also having heard from these guys about how he operates, I knew he was a pretty shrewd operator. But he still surprised me not just about his success but the way he articulated it. And I think that's a that's He's a vulnerable thing. though. Really vulnerable about the highs and lows. It's not just a meathead, you know, kind of beating his chest, talking himself up. Um, and, and the way he just kind of unpacked his story, again, it's – we, we love those interviews where we don't have to do much. Like we're not sitting there forcing stuff out of people. It just flows and, and they want to talk and, and they, they know the, the key points. They've, you can tell they've reflected on their own story to actually be able to articulate what was, what was happening at that time. You know, as, as I've said, I can't do that. I can't reflect at all. But these guys, you know, and for, he surprised me in his ability to be able to communicate his story mm. and, and an awesome story at that. Mm. Mine were just a couple of spring front. So Nick Mitsovich, actually, yeah, Nick, art gallery awesome. uh, director. He um, just the, he communicated what is could have been a very arty, farty, fluffy style of interview, but he had a very uh, accessible way of communicating mm-hmm. about art, and I think that's critical in his role. And um, I was completely captivated with that. Just another one that was a bit. Um, you know, surprising, not knowing too much about it, but um, Glenn Cooper, yeah. you know, like very prestigious name. I thought, you know, I was a bit nervous. He came in on a Friday afternoon and we ended up having a few beers while we did the podcast and he was just, just, I wouldn't say a lad, but he was, you know, he's like yeah. like someone you've known for 20 yeah. years. I had Glenn down because the way that interview came about, as well, it was one of the rare ones where I was like, you know, I just want to talk about the Cooper's story on Rooster. So I filled out your typical web form on the Cooper's website. That's how, that's how average it was. I had no connection to him. Just said, hey, this is the podcast, wondering if I can get in touch with one of the Coopers for the interview. I get no response. Two days later, Glenn himself replies, just says, no worries, mate, here's my mobile. <laughs> <laughs> and and then we had him on the couch like a week later. And you're right, like he was he's a storyteller, he's a lad, he has a laugh. Um, he unpacked some of the history, he said what's happening now, he he gave his opinions about business and about Australian made bloody products and whatever else. Mm. It was gold. Other sort of podcasts, either were the favourites yeah, or you I mean, know, like what what else? Other favourites that came to mind. Uh, ben Baker, the master yes. photographer. Epic. Again, it was another Ben Fitz connection who said, oh, oh, I went to school with this guy. He's now, you know, photographing presidents and stuff like that. You guys should interview him. Uh, unfortunately, you have to do it on Skype though because he's based um, based out of New York. Okay, no worries, mate. Thanks for that. Um, and he, he messages me two hours later and says, oh, actually, I've just found out he's in Adelaide and he can do the interview tomorrow. Do you want to do it? Yep, no worries. Easy as that. And the bloke. Is, was great as a storyteller mm. as well. Um, other ones that I like, Dr. John Greenwood, mm. uh, amazing surgeon, really dark sense of humour, which I think you'd have to be doing what he does. I was never sure whether he was joking or... Yeah, that's dry, kind of pommy stuff, just just pure gold. Um, and your cousin, Danny, couldn't go past not mentioning You're Danny such Eckert. such a fanboy. Massive fan of Danny, the sleep expert, just a brilliant dude. Um, 
anyone who can advise me on my sleep, um, as we've documented throughout this this podcast, is going to be a friend of mine. What about the lads from Genwise who were probably the most starstruck guests? In other words, they probably they probably were really appreciative to be on. That was the thing that showed up. They they were loving. They so loved Tro- what we did. Troy pitched to me a number of times yeah. to come on. Uh, admittedly, we actually do get a few a few people pitch. Um, we've, we've got a couple of little PR agencies who pitch their clients um, with varying success. But Troy... And it was an awesome yeah, hour. And and we've, we've spoken about it a bit, but podcast listeners make great podcast guests. Why? Because, because they know how a podcast, how a good podcast sounds, how a good interview sounds. They know the type of content that they should be talking so about. So what is... What are the aspects of a good guest? Great stories, articulating the human side of what they do, um, being vulnerable, telling, um, opening up about the bad stuff, the tough stuff, as well as the good stuff and what they learn from both. What do you think? Completely agree with all that. The one uh, aspect I'd also add in, and this is a bit mechanical, but if you ever going to be a guest learn to tell one story in immense detail to highlight many points and don't gloss over eras of time uh in a in a linear fashion that's boring as batshit oh i did this and then this happened i did this and then that that was 10 years worth okay Mm -hmm. Just pick one story which highlights that 10 years and tell it that's what you tell a lot of uh athletes who um, engage with us through Pickstar, isn't it? When they're trying yeah. to work, okay, well, how do I deliver a keynote? Yeah. Like, what's, what's, the, what's the first thing I do? And just unpacking that story is just key. Um, any other podcasts that stand out? Um, mate, there's so many. I Elaine mean, Stead, Elaine, most recent. we just had, was, was awesome. What does Again, Elaine do? So VC, so head of venture capital at Blue Sky Investments, Just I just loved that that tension of, being in the most almost this hardcore professional environment where where there's so much ego you're talking about money she's representing she's responsible for other people's money but then having this this very vulnerable human side and just that tension is just massive and the fact that she embraces both sides with such authenticity and the fact that her employer supports her to do that like I just think it's awesome and I think we're, you know, that was another one where we just come like that was just so good mm. we just love that mm. so it's pretty hard to boil it down to to just a couple but I think we've Andrew but- uh, Buttery yep from Mojo that was a big surprise yeah actually that was a really big surprise and he was a great storyteller too yeah so he was so I was talking to him about coming on for a chat about Mojo and he said, oh, yeah, you know, like I didn't I didn't start that company so I can talk about aspects of it but I'm not the founder so, you know, I can't talk about all the nitty-gritty of the idea and that sort of stuff. But, but I can tell you about what it was like to export wine to China through my other company, um, my family company, Gemtree. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, that sounds all right. Now, I did a bit of Googling. Oh, oh shit, you know, Gem, Gemtree did a bit. Okay, no worries. Anyway, I still didn't know that much about it. And far out, like when he opened up that story about the dramas and the highs and lows, it blew me away. 
most notable rejections so far? Julia, no, Julia Gillard. Julia Gillard and Poe. Yeah, got knocked back by but, Poe. That but we, because what we should do. We should name and shame. No, well that, we're, not, we're not naming to shame, but what we're, this is kind of putting it out into the universe that I don't see it as rejection. I just see it as a not yet mm-hmm. and it will happen. Yep. Can I be honest and say that it's actually been difficult to get uh, females on the show. Not, Why is that? Not through lack of effort. So I remember that there was – because we do have a male skew with our, with our guests, not, not by, by choice but kind of just the way it's unfolded. We, this isn't our business, so a lot of interviews happen because they fall in our lap. Um, we're, we're pretty real about that. But I remember I spent a Saturday just doing a heap of research about interesting – um, you know, female founders, interesting women doing stuff. And I sent out a pile of requests and I got, I reckon I sent out 10 in the day and I heard back from two. Tammy May, was she one of them? Yeah, I reckon Tammy May was one of them. That ended up getting booked. That was awesome. And I got rejected by Jules Gillard. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Not Jules. personally. I would have thought the only old scholar connection might have got us over the line. I thought you might have gone into the uh, the Unley Hall or something at your... George Creswell Hall. Yeah, into George Creswell Hall and just kind of called out her name and made it happen. But um, and then I got no response from, from eight. So that was just an example. And, and look, to be honest, I think I, we can always do better from our perspective in, in seeking out um, more people, females to, to come on the show. But any tips, uh, listeners, help me out, uh, connect us. As we've said, that's a really big part of us getting interviews because we are time poor and uh, Rooster isn't our sole focus. We do rely on people putting interviews in our lap, so pitch to us. Um, the PR people have helped us. There has been a couple. The PR thing is an interesting one. Well, the best guests are the ones who don't have an agenda. Yeah. And that's the hard part, isn't it? And yet you ga- engage a PR person because you've got an agenda. You've got a message you want to communicate to the community. Mm-hmm. So I think the trade-off, and you know, like you know, Andrew Denton and Parkinson, and and the best interviewers are the ones that will take a guest with an agenda and still manage to get a really good interview. And you know, to a degree, that that's that's a hard balance for the likes of um, leader of the opposition, Marshall, Stephen Marshall. Mm. I mean, that's a good example, isn't it? <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a summary of where. The South Australian population is at, if you can't recall the um, no, no, opposition I, leader's I was, name. No, I, no, I had a blank. I, yeah, I had a mental blank. But, you know, we were nervous about that interview, weren't we? Because what we don't want is we, we want the Kevin Foley interview, but we don't want kind of a the spin. A, the yeah, a spin. And, and yet they're only going to do it because they mm. want to get a message across. So, mm. you know, I mean, how did that balance work, did you find? I mean, I thought, I thought Marshall was <laughs> – it was pretty good. <laughs> I have to mention that he's asked me that question and sprinted out the door to go to the toilet. So currently I am answering this question looking at a white wall, um, basically talking to myself. But the balance, so Marshall was, I think, pretty good, as good as a politician can be. Yeah, you know, he's got his agenda and that sort of stuff. But we unpacked his story and I think think I was 75% happy with the balance of story versus spin. There were a couple of other uh, PR-backed interviews. Um, 
that that came through to us, which were yeah okay. I think the the balance of the ledger was probably sixty forty. It is a real real fine line. I'm certainly saying um, I'm not uh, not saying don't pitch to me. <laughs> Absolutely not. We want PR people pitching to us, but. We do want to get the genuine story, so that's the challenge. And James is back now. I've Completely just been, unedited. That was quick, just wasn't been, it? Just been babbling away to myself. Um, so, James, I'm not going to repeat it. You have to listen back to the show to actually oh, I heard every hear what bit. I said. Uh, so, look, I think we've, we're almost bang on an hour, which cool. seems to be our sweet spot, reckon, doesn't it? I reckon yep. we've got that many episodes bang on an hour. I have actually set up, James, as you may have noticed, a, a little uh, rooster fundraiser page. Um, Patreon, I think it's pronounced, but you can get to it via the support us page at roosterradio.biz. Not really. It's more because I've had quite a few people actually say, oh, can, how can we help? I even had someone email me and ask, how can I make a donation? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Here's my personal bank give, account. Give me a $10 note. I don't know. So we've set up this thing. Um, Super cheap to be able to make a little bit of a, a contribution. Are you putting Rooster. us in the same sort of league as... Um, you know the wiki, um, Wikipedia. Yeah, three dollars. You know, three dollars can help. If we've got a global audience of two hundred million, yeah. you make a dollar off each. Oh, absolutely. No, but I think the other part of it is it not just to help cover our costs, which the costs do add up. Let's be honest. I think I, I crunched the numbers the other day. I reckon we've spent about five grand, and I reckon we spend twelve to fifteen hours a month on it. So, you know. We won't, we're not going to stop, but that's just a little bit of a, a, a reality check, even for my own bank balance. Um, I think, but what I also want to do is continue to foster a bit of a community around it. We have that informally. There's a, a group of us who get together quite regularly of Rooster alumni that we call them. But for us to be able to continue to bring listeners um, and guests together, because we talk about it often, but getting like-minded people together, when you're going through crap, to be able to bounce stuff off each other is just so powerful. And that's ultimately what I would love to happen. I don't care if it's if we have a handful of people listening, but if we're getting together and backing each other in, then um, job done, I reckon, for Rooster. It'd be fair to say, too, we, get as, we take as much pleasure from our, uh, our biggest listeners as we do from our best guests. Yep. Absolutely, like it gives me a real buzz when I get a random email from someone I have no connection to whatsoever. Like I've had emails from ex-Adelaide people overseas, um, interstate, randoms just say, hey, just wanted to say thanks for the podcast, really enjoying them, got a lot out of them. Um, it's awesome. It's actually, this is actually really cool. You forget that people are listening. Even right now, I'm just here talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to f- bring... To a bit of a close, my final point is, um, and we mentioned this to Elaine recently, but for me, this is the one thing I've ever done in my life that I have really not cared about kind of where it's going to end up. You know, like you start your footy career with a plan, you start your business career ultimately with a bit of a plan. But this was, this is one of those things that I've done. Uh, and you know, if, if we had three listeners, uh, after a hundred episodes, I actually wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. Do we have more than three? Yeah, we do. Okay, I can so, <laughs> so our numbers are actually all right. Yeah. So, 
at the time. I should actually. I'm. I'm we need the, the stats. I know that we've had. We're approaching fifty thousand downloads. Wow. Most of that's total da- downloads. Most of which have been in the last year. So yeah. So to to finish that point is I think um, that would equate this then to a true passion in my life. You know, you do mm. it because it. Regardless of the outcome, it just gives you an immense amount of pleasure. It challenges you. It gives you energy. Um, it's broadening our networks, and we get to just chat with some of the best operators in a wide sort of variety of industries and jobs. And how funny is it when people say, um, like, they think that Rooster Radio is our, our oh, job? So, uh, yeah. so what else do you do yeah, what besides else do you Rooster? Do? <laughs> I'm tipping Rooster would be a little better if this was our <laughs> Well, uh, I'm not recording. I'm not doing my typical uh, post-production outro. I'm just going to say... Off uh, the cuff. From uh, from the heart, I'm extremely grateful to our guests. Um, As I said, we've probably only had a handful of knockbacks and no replies. I've been constantly amazed by the willingness of people who don't really know us that well to just... So, yeah, I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to actually talk about vulnerable stuff with people I don't know. Bring it closer to the microphone, James. And to my listeners, I love you. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. I'm just tearing up now. Happy 2017. And as I sit here on the piano while James plays in my skimpy outfit, with my glass of wine, I thank and I look forward to an amazing 2018 because Au revoir. all I want for Christmas is...